Let's read from uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. So if you've got that open. John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right. Because I am not alone, I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his time had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, Where I go you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. If you keep that open, Russell's going to continue the reading. From verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him... Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that you will set us free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. 
So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honour my father and you dishonour me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. I think we should pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, giving us your word. And we pray now for both teaching, teaching sessions here in this part of the building and in the hall as the children are learning your word uh, from the, the Sunday school teachers. We pray for them. We pray for us that we would be focused on what you have to say to us now. And Father, help us to uh, not be distracted by things around. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us... Uh, minds that are open to be taught and hearts that are open to be moulded. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the best things about living in Australia, I reckon, is freedom. Uh, we have lots of freedoms in Australia. Uh, in a couple of weeks from now, uh, those of us who are over, most of us who are over the age of 18, are going to exercise the freedom to decide who will govern us. That's a pretty good freedom to have, don't you reckon? That's a great freedom to enjoy. Uh, in Australia, we also enjoy freedom of speech. 
I'm sure you might find yourself before the courts if you slander someone, but around the world there are thousands and thousands of people who are living in prisons because they said what they thought about politics or about religion or things like that. Uh, we love our freedom of speech. Uh, we also enjoy a greater financial freedom than a lot of people in the world. Uh, we enjoy the freedom to be able to pay for a roof over our heads, the freedom to be able to put uh, food on the table, uh, the fr freedom to purchase many, many other things. Uh, we love our freedoms. But are we as free as we think? Someone once said, and I think it's true, that the best way to keep someone in slavery is to make them think that they are free. Uh, you see that sometimes uh, in the workplace, don't you? Uh, we get uh, offered jobs with uh, financial packages which offer us the freedom to be able to live a certain lifestyle and we take up that offer, but then we find that we don't have enough time to enjoy the things which we've been able to purchase through that uh, salary. And we become enslaved to our jobs. Uh, we can also be enslaved by debt. Think about those commercials on television. You know the ones where they say that... Uh, you can buy a truckload of stuff and you don't have to pay one cent for three years. You seen those ones? They offer you the freedom to have what you want now, but I've got to tell you, three years' time, you're a slave. Read the fine print, like extra high rate of interest that they're going to charge you. But friends, God's word tells us that there is another far more serious area where we think that we're free, but we may very well be slaves. It's far more serious because it impacts not just on this life, but also on the life to come. I wonder if you could open up your Bibles at John chapter 8. Because in this passage, Jesus shines his light on this particular slavery. Were you with us last week? If you were, I hope that you might remember that in John chapter 7, that Jesus made some very bold claims about his identity. Claims which to some were simply outrageous. Well, as we come to chapter 8 verse 12, we see that Jesus made another very bold claim. Take a look at what he said. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So that's his claim. And the question is, what is this light of life? And why is it that Jesus seems to imply that there are some people who are walking in darkness? What does Jesus say to you and me here today? Now, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I see a passage like that, I think to myself that something's going wrong with this PA system. Thank you very much, Jacob. <laughs> I think to myself, wouldn't it be great if there was someone there in the crowd who was actually a genuine seeker, 
who was feared income about wanting to hear and understand what Jesus said. Uh, because if there was such a person in the crowd, they might say, Jesus, could you please explain to us what you've just said and what it means to us? It'd be great, wouldn't it? Make life simpler. But it doesn't seem to happen. Problem was that the Pharisees were there. And whenever the Pharisees got involved, the conversation just seemed to plunge downwards. Uh, the the, the con conversation would just seem to degenerate because the Pharisees were not interested in what Jesus was saying. The, G the Pharisees weren't interested in, you know, what does he mean by I am the light of life? I am the light of the world. Uh, what are they interested in? The Pharisees are interested in picking a fight. That's their interest. And so that's what happens here. They pick a fight with Jesus. Now, we're not going to spend too much time looking at the fight. Uh, we, we'll look at it just briefly. Jesus handles it pretty briefly himself. But uh, we can see what the fight was about. Um, you may recall that the Old Testament law required that uh, uh, if you're going to prosecute a case at, in a court, that in order for evidence to be valid, that you had to have to, how many witnesses? two or more witnesses. Now, what the Pharisees do is they, they go and apply that requirement to Jesus and to the claims that he makes about himself. And basically, they said to Jesus, you are the only person making these claims. Why should we believe you? Now, it's old territory. I mean, Jesus... Jesus has covered this already back in chapter 5, verse 31 to verse 40, uh, where he said, yes, the law requires that there be two witnesses. And he said, well, um, you know, I witnessed to myself. Uh, John the Baptist, he witnessed to who I was, who I am. Um, at the baptism of Jesus, who else witnessed to who Jesus is? God the the Father, the Father, the Father spoke from heaven saying, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. And also back in chapter 5, Jesus uh, says, well, the miracles that I do, they testify as to who I am. Because as we know, those miracles fulfilled the requirements or the prophecies of the Old Testament in relation to the Messiah, to the Christ. And so it's old territory uh, he's already covered it, but what do these people who are speaking to Jesus say? Verse 13, the Pharisees challenged him, here you are appearing as your own witness, your testimony is not valid. Um, Jesus doesn't go back over the old territory. He doesn't recount what I've just recounted for you. He basically goes pretty much to the bottom line. Verse 17, Verse 17, in your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So that's it. That's the bottom line. You want two witnesses? You've got two witnesses, me and my Father. Right? Now, what if someone doesn't believe that? What if uh, someone doesn't believe what Jesus says about himself, who he is? why he came. Does it make a real big difference? Does it matter if you don't 
really quite believe exactly what Jesus says about himself. Um, I, I've, I've been in many churches over the years um, as a congregation member and as minister at three churches. And during that period of time, I have met people uh, who would say that they're Christians, who come to church regularly, who say that they believe in Jesus, who read their Bibles, uh, but have said to me that they believe that Jesus is an inspired man. Um, some have said that they believe that he is a prophet, but that's about it. And others have said, well, there you go, that's fine, that means that they're Christians, they believe in Jesus. Now, is that, is that the case? Uh, is it okay? What difference does it make whether we really believe what Jesus says about who he is? Well, look at how Jesus warned the Pharisees. If you go down to verse 21, well, what did he say to them there? What's his warning to the Pharisees in verse 21? He warned them that they would die in their sins. Now, check out, uh, he goes on, check out what he says in verse 24. Uh, in verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, that is a bold claim. And I put it to you that in this claim that Jesus makes here, we start to see a little bit about what he meant when he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of life. Um, in verse 30, um, something extraordinary happened. In verse 30, we're told that many of the Jews put their faith in him. Now, we don't know exactly why they put their faith in him. I, I, I'm going to take a shot at it and say that I think that uh, the fact that he was so bold and so clear and you know, made the issues so stark that they finally, you know, they, they started to get the message uh, that if they did not believe in him, this is what's going to happen to them. Sometimes Christians can be accused of trying scare tactics to get people to believe in Jesus. Um, now, we don't want people to die in their sins, do we? We don't, do we? Absolutely not. Sometimes when I talk to people about the gospel, uh, in fact, I had, had a conversation with one of you just last Sunday and uh, one of you was telling me about a person that you're reaching out to and the person uh, said that uh, they would defer thinking about Jesus until a little bit later. And, and sometimes I come across this. So people say to me, look, you know, it's interesting what you're saying, but, you know, I'll think about it later on in life when the kids have left home, when I've paid off the mortgage, then I'll put, you know, I, when I'm getting closer to the end, I'll do some thinking about it. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is that they don't know when the end's going to happen, do they? Um, I, uh, if you're an adult, have you written out a will? Right? I, I trust, I hope you have. I wrote out a will many, many years ago. 
Why did I write out a will? Was it because I was on my deathbed? No. The reason I wrote out a will was because I don't have the foggiest idea when I am going to die. Could be 50 years from now. Could be this afternoon. You don't know when you're going to die. And so we write out wills because we recognise that fact. And it's the same that goes for Jesus. Uh, you don't put off a decision about Jesus till later on in life. The time to act is now. And so next time someone says to you, look, you know, I'll think about that later, a bit close to, you know, to death, just ask them if they've written out a will. And if they have, then they've got to be consistent and not put off, not defer this decision about Jesus. Because if they do not believe what Jesus says about himself, they will die in their sin. Jesus is not afraid to be bold. And many people put their faith in him. But what's interesting in verse 30 is what kind of faith uh, was it that they were, that they were exercising? Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes you know, get a bit sceptical when um, there's an evangelistic meeting that takes place. I'm sceptical. I've got a mixture of scepticism and joy when the organisers of the meeting will tell me that uh, you know, a precise number of people became Christians at the meeting and the reason is because they went forward or because they signed the response card. Because the question is, uh, you know, what kind of faith are they expressing? And you know, Jesus could have uh, done that here and now, you know, in, in verse 30, he could have put some notches on his Bible and said, here's a whole bunch of Jews that have come to faith, hallelujah, move on. He could have done that, but he didn't. What he did instead was he pressed them a bit further. Have a look in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's a bit of a question mark, you know, if you hold to my teaching, you know, then you will be my disciples and the truth will set you free. Are they really disciples? And it seems from what follows that they were people who were, yeah, they were inclined to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, but there was something which was holding them back. In fact, we find this in the very same verse because when Jesus said that the truth shall set them free, they were actually offended by that. I mean, what does he mean? Free from what? Verse 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? What do you think of that statement, by the way? We have never been slaves of anyone. I mean, you know, what, what was going on in Egypt for 400 years? Have they forgotten that they were captives in Babylon? And open your eyes, look around, who is it that's ruling over them? The Romans? You know, it's a crazy statement, but, you know, they're, they're kind of blind to the reality, but, but they were blind to a different, an even worse form of slavery. Remember, what is the best way to keep a person in slavery? It is to make them think that they are free. 
In the Garden of Eden, what was the promise that Satan made to Eve? Well, let's have a look at it. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 for a moment. That's easy to find, Genesis 3, isn't it? Just go right to the beginning and then go forward three chapters. We'll only read just the first five verses. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. On page 2 of your Bibles. That is so easy to find. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what did the serpent promise? He promised to give them freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from who? Freedom from God. Freedom from God. You see, Satan says to them, look, God doesn't want what's best for you. God knows that if you eat from that fruit, then you'll be like him. And he doesn't want that. You'll be like him. You will know good and evil. You'll be the ones who'll be able to decide what is good and what is evil. You'll, you'll come out from under God's authority. So, come on. Eat the fruit. Show God who's boss. And what did they do? They ate the fruit. Friends, as descendants of Adam and Eve, all humans have inherited that rebellious, sinful nature. You think that's true? Well, think about this. Do you find it easier to sin or easier to be holy? I mean, do you have to struggle against sin or do you have to struggle against holiness? You don't have to struggle against holiness, do you? You have to struggle in order to be holy. Because guess what? Holiness does not come naturally. What comes naturally is sin. We want to live our way, not God's way. And that's why we are so selfish. That's why our lives sometimes get into a mess. That's why the world is in a mess. Satan promised freedom, freedom from God. But what did he deliver? He delivered slavery to him because he became the master. Death and judgment entered the world. Now, um, in our family, I am normally the first one to get up in the morning. The women of the family may dispute that with you, but they'll be wrong. Now, this time of year... Uh, it's dark when I get up in the morning and because I'm a loving husband I don't turn on the lights in the bedrooms or anywhere near the bedroom um, which means that 
I kind of stagger around in the dark for a while, you know, where did I put my glasses? <laughs> and then I finally find my glasses and I'm feeling my way in the wardrobe. Where is that dressing gown? It's so cold. <laughs> and I've, frankly, I might as well turn the light on because I wake Cassie up in the process. But, you know, you kind of... Can you relate to that, by the way? Yeah, you can. Yeah. You, you kind of want to turn the light on because the light actually reveals everything to you. It shows you the context. It shows you reality. Well, Jesus, in verse 12, says that he is the light of the world. And what that means is that Jesus shines his light onto our human reality. He shines his light onto our human condition so that we can see the slavery that we're in. We think that we are living in great freedom. But Jesus says, no, let me, let me switch the light on. Let me show you what's really going on. Verse 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's the slavery. And the light of Jesus exposes that slavery. So then, how would they respond to this? Well, in verses 39 to 47, we see that they actually chose darkness. They chose to reject what he was saying. They said to Jesus, you're wrong. You're wrong. You see, they went on to say, Abraham is our father. God is our father. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you carry out your father's desire. Um, when you... On the theme of getting up early in the morning when it's dark, when you get up early in the morning when it's dark and it's summertime here in Port Macquarie and you finally do manage to get your way out of the bedroom without waking up half the household and you uh, get to the kitchen and you flick the light on in the kitchen, what do you see scurrying across the floor? That's the Port Macquarie experience, isn't it, <laughs> on the coast? Cockroaches. Well, why are they scurrying? Why don't they just continue doing their business? They're scurrying because they hate the light. They love the darkness. And in fact in the prologue of John's Gospel, in John chapter 1, people, you know, it says that John says that the light has come into the world but the darkness has not, over, has not understood it. Uh, evil uh, loves darkness and hates light. So in verse 51 um, and so what Jesus has done, he's shone, he's shone the light on our sinful human condition. And when that happens, there are some people who are drawn to the light, but others who, like those cockroaches, scurry away from it. They flee because they prefer the darkness. In verse 51, what Jesus does then, he then cranks up the light. You know, if you've got a dimmer switch on your light, he cranks it onto full. Verse 51, he says... I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. 
Now, quite frankly, to the Pharisees, that is the last straw. I mean, they, they go on to say to them, well, well, now we know. Now we know that you are actually demon-possessed. I mean, you know, you say that if anyone follows you, then, you know, keeps your word, they'll never see death. Well, you know, what about, the, what about Abraham? He died. What about all the prophets? They've all, they've all died. Who do you think you are? Do you think that you're greater than Abraham and all of the prophets? And then in verse 56, Jesus says, yes. Abraham lived and he looked forward to my day and he saw it and he rejoiced. Well, now they know that he's a nutter. I mean, they're thinking to themselves, well, you know, Abraham actually lived 2,000 years before this conversation took place. And Jesus, they say, well, you're not even 50 years old and you say that you've seen Abraham, that the two of you have met. Verse 58. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And at this they picked up stones to stone him. Uh, Do you remember um, in Exodus when Moses uh, met up with God at the burning bush and God said to Moses that he wanted him to go back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and to demand that Pharaoh should let God's people go out of their slavery. Do you remember that? The burning bush? And Abraham, uh, sorry, Moses, said, said to God, well, who shall I say has sent me? What is your name? And God said, tell them, I am has sent you. I am who I am. I am has sent you. Well, oh, Things get clear at this point. Who was Jesus claiming to be when he said, before Abraham was, I am? He's claiming to be God. And that's why they picked up stones and attempted to kill him because that was outrageous blasphemy to claim to be God. So how free are we really? Um, If you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are somebody who has been freed. How have you been freed? Well, as we keep on reading here, the Jews kept on trying to kill Jesus, but they failed because his time had not yet come. Yet back in verse 28, Jesus told them, we implied to them, that one day they would succeed that they would lift up the Son of Man. There would come a day when they would nail him to a cross and lift him up. And just as the the Son of Man in the book of Daniel, he would uh, go to be with God, the Ancient of Days. And so he's talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection. Friends, because Jesus is God... Because Jesus is the great I am, 
His death on the cross is priceless. The death of Jesus means that the penalty for that rebellion, for our rebellion against God, has been paid by God himself. And so the question that I must ask you is this, have you put your trust in Jesus? Do you believe that he is who he said that he is? And are you confident that he died and rose for you? Because if you are, then you are free. You are a person who is now free from the bondage of sin. You are free from the guilt of sin. And you are free from God's punishment for sin. That's a great state to be in, isn't it? Better than any freedom that we've got in Australia. Better than democracy, better than freedom of speech, better than money. That is true freedom. But the question which we must ask ourselves then is what does this freedom entail for us? Because it is not a freedom to live as we choose. That is slavery. That is bondage. That is living as the evil one desires you to live. We have been freed so that we can serve. That's how we've been freed. Now, your non-Christian friends, when they consider your life, may not necessarily see you as being a particularly free person. Um, as non-Christians, when you're living in darkness, you actually think that you're the one who is free, that you are free to live as you choose, you are free to make your decisions, you are free to live separate from God, you are free to sin. But we have been freed from that. We are now free to honour God, free to love God, free to put him first, free to live the way that God has made us. In verse 36, Jesus said that if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. And that's true freedom. That's the freedom that we enjoy because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture that has been preserved for us, for our edification. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for who he is, that he is the great I am. Father, we thank you that, you're that in your incredible love that your own son Jesus went to the cross to pay for our rebellion against you and that through his death that the purchase price has been paid and we have been released from the slavery that we've had to Satan and to sin and to death. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be people who in our freedom would uh, utilise that as a freedom to serve you, to love you, to trust in you and to put you first in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.